Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. All right, I'm going to preach a message today called the Tower of Babel. So turn in your Bible to Genesis 11. Genesis 11. And then we're going to go and enjoy the heat wave. Probably. It's interesting, this week, I've just been reading this story. Sometimes you kind of preach with a purpose, you know, you see something, you feel this is something from God or something that perhaps will help people. This week, it's just, these are just the things I've been thinking about as I've been reading this story. And maybe some of it will just bless you and help you as we read. Are you in Genesis 11? If you're there, say aye. Good. Now it says, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. It's actually... Today we would call it Babylon. And they settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone. And, oh, what's that word? Bitumen? What's that word? Okay. For mortar. Then they said, verse 4, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, And this is amazing, what we're going to read now. This is what the Lord said. If as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language So they will not understand each other. Verse 8. So the Lord scattered them from there. All over the earth. And they stopped building the city. That is why. It was called Babel. Because the Lord confused. The language of the whole world. The word Babel sounds very similar. In Hebrew to confusion or confused. It's, it's called Babel because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Don't know why. I've just been intrigued to read this this week. So here are just one or two things that came to me while I was reading it. And maybe it'll sort of uh, help us a little bit. As always, we ask the question, what, what can we learn uh, from the passage. Well, the first thing 
that strikes me is the way, the glowing way in which God speaks about the people. Now the reason why this caught my attention and why it should maybe catch your attention is because most times in the Bible, God, God's description of people is not always great, right? We normally don't like to think about men and women, human beings, as being powerful because we're always contrasting ourselves with God, which is probably a really good thing. And so we know that nobody should say, hey, I've, I'm gifted or I'm powerful or I'm intelligent. You know, we, we don't think this is a good idea. We understand that with humility uh, comes strength and it's with, uh, it's with a contrite heart that we can approach God. So this is not about, about pride because in a moment we'll see what pride did to them. It sent them here, there and everywhere. But anyway, the first thing I noticed was this, that God says about these people, they are a powerful bunch of people. Now again, normally in other parts of the Bible, I've been reading through Ezekiel this, this week and Jeremiah not so long ago, and God speaks about the people as being foolish before him. You know, I can just breathe on them and that'll be the end of them. But here God has another perspective on people, which is that actually they are very, very powerful entities. They are capable, God says, of doing anything. He says if they can get together, and we'll come to this again in a moment, if they can get together, nothing will be impossible for them. It's just, anyway, I just found it extraordinary. God says, of course, in the Psalms, that each one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. And what's interesting is, as much as we embrace humility, and we must, as much as we embrace the fact that we are nothing without God, and we must embrace that, Jesus said to his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we know that that from the word of God and the way it speaks about people, every inclination of the heart is to be evil. And so we know that when we compare ourselves with God, we've got a lot of work to do. Nevertheless, nevertheless, what God created was amazing when he made people. People are truly amazing. And the achievement, if you like, of people has been truly amazing. The innovation, the invention, the entrepreneurial endeavors of people have been amazing. Right at the beginning in the book of Genesis, God turns to the king and queen of the garden, if you like, the very first king of the jungle long before Ant and Dec. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I bless you, he says. I bless you. Be fruitful. Multiply. Have dominion. Fill the earth and subdue it. He gave them that commandment. I want you to rule 
over this creation that I have made. And guess what? That's happened. The whole earth now is full of people. It's full of powerful people. People who have learned from the creation of the wheel and the fire, you know, through to the point now where when I go into my home, I'm surrounded by things that I haven't got a clue how any of them work. Not one thing. How does the telephone work? I I just don't know. I flick on and there is Noel Edmonds. How is that possible? And I don't just mean how is Noel on TV. But how does, how is it possible that the TV works? How come I can get an email now? How come, how come I can do anything I want? I don't know how any of it works. I put my socks on. I haven't got a clue how that's happened. I don't mean my ability to put them on, although that is a growing problem. But how have they been created? I know not. Mankind is truly amazing. And in Psalm 8, it says this, of man, God says, I made them a little lower than the angels. Some versions say they were made a little lower than God. And God says, I put them in charge of my creation. They are rulers over it. So from the wheel to the fire to the microchip, to the surgery that sometimes you and I have to have, to the technology all around us, to the military might that sometimes makes us very nervous and we shudder at. Nevertheless, mankind can be very, very powerful. And God says if they just get their act together, they'll be able to do anything. Let's just localize this just for a moment. Just in this room here together, you see. Just sitting in this room here. There is, of course, incredible potential. God, the creator, has made us. And now we are creative. God, the all-wise, creates us and gives to us his wisdom. Anyway, it just struck me. A great compliment paid to mankind that if they could just get together, they could achieve anything. And that's really the second thought, isn't it? They weren't powerful by themselves. They weren't powerful by themselves. It was the fact that they all got together. That's what gave them the power that God so noted about them. He says, because they're all speaking one language and because they've all come together, they have incredible power now. On their own, they're just the masters of their own universe. But when they come together, they have incredible power. Is it no small coincidence then that scattered throughout the Bible and particularly in our bit of the Bible today, as it were, the New Testament bit that kind of guides us aright in a very special way in this era of time. That so much is placed upon the importance of unity and togetherness. Ephesians 4 says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
Do you notice in that verse that what we are required to do is not create unity. It's not to manufacture unity. It's not even to rebuild unity. All we have to do is keep the unity. Because unity among the people of God is the default. It's that default setting that comes like with your computer or whatever you've got, it comes with those default settings. This is the optimum way to use this. Why, oh why then, do people like me always want to fiddle with it? If the factory thinks this is the best way, why do I think differently? Answers on a postcard to the usual address. But it's like a default setting. Unity among those who have the Holy Spirit is the default setting. We want to be together with one another. We do not want to have uh, uh, disputes among each other. We want to have unity. It is the default. And yet, because we're human and because we like fiddling with the settings and saying, well, God's factory may have designed it this way, but I have another way. That person was rude to me. I'm going to be rude back to them. We want to alter the setting and say, well, uh, that works okay in the factory. That's okay in heaven. But down here, I need to customize this. And I need to do life my way. Not the, not the heavenly factory's way, but my way. That's why the Bible says this, that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Psalm 133, of course. How good and how pleasant it is when people dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil, so it goes on running down Aaron's garments. There... The psalm ends, the Lord will bestow or command the blessing. So we've got to be in unity. It's so interesting. In John's Gospel, chapter 17, Jesus is praying for the unity of the church. And people have counted different numbers, so let us I won't be too authoritative, but it's something like four times he prays that the church will be one as he and the Father are one. Four times it's mentioned, and in fact, maybe even more. Depending on which version you read and sort of how you read it, he prays again and again, Father, I want my people to be one. I don't want them to be arguing with each other. I don't, I don't want them to be disputing. I don't want them to be falling out. The New Testament warns us against quarreling over nonsense. He says, Lord, I want them to be one, just as we are one. And he prays it again and again. And other preachers more sharp and wiser than I have pointed out that it took but one prayer to take Lazarus from the place of the dead back into his body, out of Hades, into his body, his body to be healed, his body to return to full strength, breath to come back into him, strength to come back into him, and up he leaps and he walks out the tomb. That took one prayer from Jesus. But for unity, he prays again and again. It seems like it's easier to bring back the dead 
than to have people get along sometimes. So unity, even in the passage, I don't know whether you noticed in Genesis 11, a couple of times I think, the Lord speaks and he says, let us go down, verse 7, and confuse their language. See, God as a trinity is you know, speaking, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit speaking as a unity. And because they were in unity, they recognized the power of the unity going on on the earth below. Where we can be together. Where we can agree together. Where we can move together. Of course, we can achieve a colossal amount. People on their own, merely factor and fuel their own universe. But when people come together, they get the attention of God. I don't know about you, but in this church, I want to get the attention of God. Not in the sense of him being concerned about our wicked plans, but in a sense which, boy, can you just see them coming together? Nothing will be impossible for them now. Because where they come together, so there the Lord commands a blessing. Now, let's look at the enemy of unity, which of course is very clear in the story. And maybe this is, maybe this will be the most helpful bit of this. What is the thing that creates the division? What is the thing that causes them to go from being a powerful group of unified guys and girls and all of a sudden, they cannot finish the Tower of Babel. What is it? Well, we know what it is. They all start to speak in other tongues. But in a different kind of way to your normal Pentecostal meeting. They all start to speak in other languages so they don't understand each other. Here we learn, I think, one of the great ways that disunity or division can occur through people not understanding one another. I must tell you a story, but you mustn't tell Jane I told you. Is that a deal? Is that a deal? Put your hand up if you won't tell her that I told you. That's not carried. <laughs> if you use the wrong word, you really can end up in a lot of trouble, you don't it? She said a lady while they were on the mission was asked to give her testimony. Now don't you tell her I told you this. Especially you, Jane, listening to this on your iPhone later. But a lady got up in one of the meetings and she meant to say, I have been walking with God for 11 years. But she didn't quite say that. She said, friends, I have been walking the dog for 11 years. I mean, I, 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 I've been walking with God. I, I've been walking the dog too for 11 years, but... If you think about it, it's a bit funnier than you think. <laughs> one young, uh, well, well, one not so young, but a, 
a fairly well-known preacher, traveled from England to America. And some of you have already worked out that in England and America, we do not speak the same language. It may look like that, but we don't speak exactly the same language. And uh, in England, a joint is a piece of meat. In America, a joint is something else. It's one of them. So the preacher got up, he looked out at the crowd, and he thought he'd help them by telling them he wasn't going to be very long, which is what all preachers tell people, and it's never true. Least of all from me. And he said, it's great to be with you here in the United States. He said, I'm not going to preach very long because I know that you need to get out of here and have your joint. (laughs) Pastor did like a spin on his chair. (laughs) Just some sort of word of knowledge. He turned to his deacon. Everyone's on drugs. He's told them he's not going to preach long because they're addicted to drugs. But you know, sometimes we can fall out with each other because we don't understand each other. And no offense is meant. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you can, you know, sit down with people and they've had a dispute. I was in this room yesterday trying to sort out a dispute from uh, 20 past 1 to 10 to 8. There were a couple of toilet breaks, that's all. But trying to sort out a problem. And the problem sometimes is not that one person is wrong and the other is right. Sometimes the problem is they're talking in that language and they're talking in that language. They did not understand each other, so that was the end of their unity. And sometimes to be reconciled or sometimes to have, to have unity, we all have to understand what each other is saying. I mentioned a few months ago, or a few weeks, early part of the year, I talked about the, the, uh, the uh, disposition that some people have towards mind reading. And when I see people upset... Very often, the problem is not what happened to them at all. The problem is what they believed the other person meant or thought. And you will do yourself, for the rest of your life, the most phenomenal favor if you will confess freely, I 
am a lousy mind reader. I cannot work out what people are thinking. Because very often when people mind read others, by mind read, I don't mean some spooky thing. I'm talking about, he looked at me in a funny way. <laughs> I saw the way she looked at me. Therefore, beep, 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 therefore, she doesn't like me. Lousy mind reading. Let me tell you this, you're rubbish at it. And so am I. The miscommunication, where sometimes there's no communication at all. And sometimes I'll sit with people and they'll be destroyed. I mean, really, really destroyed on the inside. On what they thought someone meant. Or what they thought that look meant. No, don't do it. You see, where there is confusion. Remember, Babel means confusion. Of course, there is disunity. There's conflict. There's disruption. Best to learn the language than to start decoding what other people might mean. Here are a few verses. Of course, Galatians 5 is a very well-known one. Verse 15, it's, Paul speaks to the church and he says this, If you're going to bite and devour one another, you're going to be destroyed. Many of you know that for years and years, maybe six years, I had... Uh, some some oversight of a large number of churches and I used to sometimes be called upon to visit them. And I go to these churches and you know, sometimes you go to the churches and nobody liked anyone at all. And you're thinking, why does anybody come here? Signs of wonders, the only sign is the one above the toilet and the only wonder is, I wonder why anyone is coming here. I wonder why they come back next week. hating each other and you know in the name of the Lord well I love you with the love of the Lord that means I don't love you at all but I better if you come up to me and say Peter I just want you to know I love you with the love of the Lord I'll know what that means that means you don't like me at all or maybe I just mind read you Paul says this, if you keep on fighting, it's all going to be over. And that's true of churches where people fall out and they're fighting all the time. And this is a peaceful church, I know that. But where people are fighting all the time, if you are fighting, you are not the solution here. You are the problem here. Or wherever you go. People who fight are the problem. They are not the solution. The solution is unity. The solution is making every effort, not just a bit of effort. To keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And of course Genesis 11. That is what we're looking at. That he confused their language. They couldn't understand one another. And that's why they couldn't get on. Because they couldn't understand one another. I want to ask you this. Someone who's offended you recently. Someone who historically in your life has been a problem to you, hurt you. I just want to ask you a question today. It may not be one that you can answer, or it may be one that the answer is not a positive answer, 
But are you really sure they wanted to hurt you? Are you really sure? Are you really sure that you understood what they were saying to you? Because Babel causes division. And Babel is not hatred. Babel is confusion. Anyway, have a think about that. 2 Timothy 2, one of my most favorite verses. Verse 22, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Don't be involved in foolish disputes. We can choose to do that, can't we? And finally, just a warning for us, the power of pride. We know what went wrong in the story. What went wrong in the story was not the bricks, not the mortar, not even the power of their unity together. What went wrong was their motive. God gave them the ability to build a city and build a tower. There was nothing wrong with that, at least as far as I read it. The problem was not that they wanted to build a city. The problem was they wanted to make a name for themselves. You read it in the, in the passage. That was the problem. And sometimes we can do good and even godly looking things. But for a proud motive, not a godly one. And sometimes we need to check ourselves. I've been just reading this week in Ezekiel. It seems that God is speaking to the nations. And, and every few chapters he speaks to another nation and their problem, pride. Nearly every time, the problem is pride. I was reading some of it this morning before I came here. Pride. Pride comes before a fall every time. It's not just a saying, it's, it's, a, it's a life formula that pride is bad. In the book of Ezekiel, of course, it speaks about the king of Tyre. Some think that the passage is referring to Satan or Lucifer. He was so beautiful. He was glorious and God blessed him. But the prophet says, but because of your beauty, your heart was corrupted. And so here's the balance we have to strike. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Even me. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made. But we have been made to serve the kingdom of our great God. Not our own. And not our own thing. But his kingdom. And when we come together to build. And I'm not particularly referencing the building project now. But as we come together in these next months and years to build. We must build something for the glory of God. Not to make our name great. Not to make our name great. I remember a deep pain I had working in a church many years ago. I wasn't the pastor of it. And I worked with the team to build or make a kind of a, a video. I was going to say a DVD, but we never heard of them then. 
But we made a, a video. You remember them? Video? They were like big loaves of bread used to stick in a giant thing that looked like your garage. And I, I don't know whether I should tell this story or not, but uh, anyway, let me just tell it soberly. We worked so hard to create this video, and, and I put a lot of effort in it. It was really about, I just wanted it to be given to people so they could be one for Jesus. But what actually happened to them is they were used, and I, I want to say this carefully and, and in the fear of God, but they were used really just to give to pastors to make the church I was in look good. And, and I'm aware that we need to, people need to know we're here. So I'm happy for King's Church billboards and King's Church bumper stickers. I've got no problem with it. But if that is, if we're trying to make a name for ourselves, then we don't have the, we don't have the approval of God. And we must have the approval of God. You see the mechanics of how it works. Men and women come together. Men and women bring their skills. Men and women bring their unity. And men and women must bring their humility. And their, and their desire to see God's name lifted up. Not their own. If they had not wished to make their name great, God would no doubt not have come down and sorted them out. That's how I seem to read it. But it was their pride that ruined it all. The greatest enemy in all of our lives is not the devil. The greatest enemy in all of our lives is our pride. Because if we have no pride, then the devil has no currency to use. He can only work with our pride. Adam, Eve, don't you see that this tree is good for food, good for gaining knowledge? First John and uh, chapter 2 verse 16 calls it the pride of life. And they fell. So in the future, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do great things for a great God but with a lowly spirit. The blessing might go out to the city. Just a couple of thoughts to finish. Number one, God on the day of Pentecost reversed the curse. (laughs) How very, very interesting that on the day of Pentecost, God did the miracle again by taking the people and giving them different languages But in a most bizarre way, this time it unified the group, not divided them. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound like the rushing of a violent wind from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They appeared to them what seemed to be like cloven tongues as of fire that came to rest upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And there's one more thing that I noticed. 
that somehow in all this strange story of these people and their tower, there is a message for people who do not know the Lord. The people said, let us build a tower so we can reach to heaven. And God says, let us go down among them. The mistake that the people made was they thought the way to get to God was to climb upward to him. And we climb in a long way. You go all the way up. You pass Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong on the moon and you keep going. The people thought that the way to get to God was to climb and build up towards him. Let me tell you what we call this. This is called religion. Religion that says, I am not very good. I know I'm a, a sinner. So I'm going to build a tower to God. I'm going to be good now and I'm going to go and get the priest to bless me and I'm going to go and uh, try to repay God for everything I've done wrong. I'm going to try to climb up, build up. But this is the real truth And this is what God does. God is not looking for us to build ourselves up to his height. God comes down to the earth. And 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away from here, there was a man indeed who had come all the way down from heaven to earth. His name was Jesus. And Jesus Christ died on the cross. And by dying on the cross, he took the blame for all of the sin, all of the pride, and all of the wrongdoing of every one of us. God's not looking for us to climb up to him God wants you to know this. He has come down. You will need to come to him, but it doesn't involve any climbing. It doesn't involve any building. In fact, all it requires is surrender. So let me encourage you today on your walk with God, not your walk with the dog, but your walk with God Maybe some in this room need to begin a fresh chapter of walking with him. Not bringing a brick to build a tower upwards, but just being thrilled and thankful that he has come downwards. That he's done all the traveling required. And I encourage you, 
in the quietness of your own heart to say, Lord, today I give myself afresh to you. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.